Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you very much. It's my joy to be with you here today, and I know for those that have been kind of coming in and coming out, uh, we ended a, an interesting journey that we started this summer last week, okay? We had a sermon series that we entitled Focusing on the Family of God as we walked word by word through First Timothy, but now we're entering into a new journey for the next four weeks. For the next four weeks, I'm going to do something that I haven't yet done here at Cedar Street, I'm going to be preaching through a sermon series entitled, Together We Transform, and I'm going to be pulling out key scripture and walking through a new church covenant. All right, for those of you that were part of our business meeting this past month, uh, Mr. Eddie Jones, the chair of our bylaws committee, presented a, uh, a draft of a church committee or a church covenant that most likely, without any changes, will be approved in the October business meeting coming up next week. And it's a covenant that should be a living, breathing document about who we are as a church and how we can hold each other accountable and grow in our walk with Christ. It should be an encouragement. It should be a goal that we strive for at Cedar Street Baptist Church. So the last couple of months we've been talking about focusing on the family of God. Who are we as the church? And now in the church covenant in this new series, Together We Transform, we're going to get very practical and talk about ways that we can grow together in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when we think about this, I want us to focus obviously on this word, transform. I believe this with all of my heart. If I didn't believe this, I would not be standing up here today. God is a God of change. He doesn't change, but He brings change in our lives. And I would say, I need change. Do you need change? Guess what? The world knows that we need change. Politicians have made a lot of money on this. All right? Because they promote change. Because we all know that we need it. We're sinful and fallen and broken, but we worship a healing Savior. And how do I know that Jesus is real? Because He has saved me and because He is changing me little by little, day by day, from the inside out. And I want to be a church that is transforming, a church that is changing. I ought to be able to look at you and you ought to be able to look at me and we ought to be able to say, I see Christ in you. I see progress in you. I see more of Christ in you now than I saw in you last year. And you ought to be able to look at me and hear me preach God's Word and say, I see more of Christ in you now as our pastor than I did a year ago because God is a God of transformation the Holy Spirit brings change into our lives and we yearn for that and he wants to give us that which we yearn for if we do it the way he entails for us to do it see I think sometimes we get confused about the goal of the Christian life so what we do is we talk about the byproducts of that goal but we don't talk about the goal itself here's what I mean the goal of the Christian life is not salvation salvation's a byproduct of the goal all right? The goal of the Christian life is not moral reform, although moral reform is a byproduct of the goal. All right? The goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus and expand the kingdom of God. We have to be saved to be a part of the kingdom, and then we have to be more like Christ as the kingdom grows. The kingdom of God is God's plan A for the church. That's the goal of the Christian life. God's goal for you is for you to be like Jesus. Through your own unique personality, God wants you to be like His Son. And it doesn't happen by accident. The saddest thing in the world is someone who's professed faith in Jesus Christ, and 20 years later, they're the same exact person they were 20 years ago. 
because they're not doing the things that Christians do. Now, as we're going to walk through this, the entire series, and I'm going to emphasize this so many times that nobody gets this confused, to be transformed into Christ-likeness is not something that you do primarily by human effort. It is a work of God. Just like your faith is a gift of God, working out that faith is an act of grace. It's the work of God in you. But there are things that you can do to allow God to work in your life, or there's things that you can do to suppress the work of God in your life. The Bible talks about it as quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit and stopping Him from doing the work that He wants to do in your life. So that's what this short sermon series is all about. Together, as Cedar Street Baptist Church, we transform All right, it's part of our mission statement that we're going to talk about here in a second. It's the goal that we have here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. So we have a mission, we have a vision, and we're presenting a new church covenant. So what's our mission? Well, you can look in the bulletin. I have it in there every week, and Dave gives us the short version of it behind the pulpit every week. All right, our mission. Cedar Street Baptist Church exists to glorify God and advance His heavenly kingdom here on earth by making Christian disciples whose heads hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here to be more like Jesus and to build the kingdom that Jesus came to die for. What's our vision? Our vision is to become a church of Christian disciples whose thoughts, words, and actions reflect the image of Jesus Christ and represent new life in the kingdom of God. And how about our covenant? A lot of times, church covenants are are somewhere buried in the bylaws, and most people are not aware of them. I have to confess to you, until I started thinking through this, I myself was not fully aware of a covenant that we have. And as, as I did more research, I found that the covenant in our current bylaws is actually the uh, J. Newton Brown Covenant of the Baptist Church Manual of 1853. A couple of things have changed since 1853. I don't know if you noticed. And uh, it, it was a beautiful covenant. Okay, it certainly has, has stood the test of time and it served its purpose well. But I felt led and I casted this vision with our long range planning committee. And we met for several months and started working line by line through a new covenant that would reflect who we are and be practical. If it's not something we can do, if it's not something tangible that we can participate in, we don't need to have a covenant. So this covenant is practical. It's relevant to who we are. Our long-range planning committee approved it and handed it over to our bylaws committee. Our bylaws committee has approved it and submitted it to the church, and we've been looking at this for the past few weeks. So I decided, moving up to the crescendo, which will be homecoming in a few weeks, for the next three weeks, we're going to walk through the points of the covenant using key scripture, And then, in homecoming, we're going to have an opportunity to renew this new covenant commitment with one another. We're going to have a beautiful document down here at the front and have a chance for everyone to willfully come as you feel led and sign the covenant and know what our commitment to each other is as believers in Jesus Christ. So that's really where my heartbeat is. But as we get ready to start this series, I'm going to be going back to a term that I've used quite a bit because it's something I'm greatly passionate about. And that is spiritual disciplines. Perhaps you've started to hear this over and over because I believe it's something that's missing in the church. And this is what I want to talk about. I've used examples. I'm going to use a different one today to explain it in a different way, maybe to make more sense. But here's a definition of a spiritual discipline. And then I'm going to talk about how it works in a way that you can understand. All right, author J.P. Moreland in a recent book I've been reading called The The Lost Virtue of Happiness. Here's what he says about spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. He said, a Christian spiritual discipline is a repeated bodily practice done in dependence on the Holy Spirit and under the direction of Jesus. 
to enable us to get good at certain things in life that we cannot learn by direct effort. If you're a note taker, I can give it to you after service. I know that's a mouthful. But let me just say, a spiritual discipline are things that we do to put ourselves in position for God to do what only he can do. And I'm going to give you an example because this is a golfing community. I talked about this last week a little bit. I'm going to talk about it more today. Think about the discipline of swinging the golf club. All right, I don't know if you know this, but you cannot throw a golf ball as far as you can hit it. Unless, of course, for those of you that have no ability to hit it straight, you may throw it 50 yards straight, then you can hit it 200 yards to the right or to the left. All right, the fact of the matter is, when you swing a golf club, it is the golf club itself that does the work. It is your job to get the golf club in the position for the golf club to do what it was made to do. All right, and it's so frustrating to, uh, t- if you've not golfed or if it's been a long time and you pick up a club and you try to take out the eight iron and try to repeat the swing, repeat the swing, repeat the swing, and maybe two out of ten go straight or get that high arcing shot and then some just kind of split off to the left or to the right. The reason why you're not hitting it straight is because you haven't undergone the discipline of repeating the swing, repeating the swing. But it, the more that you repeat the swing, it's not about your, you powering the golf ball. It's by you putting the club in the right place for the club to do the work. Same thing in the Christian life. You can't will yourself to be more like Jesus, but you can do things that Jesus did while he was on the earth. And by doing that, you can open yourself up for the Holy Spirit to work through you to make you more like Jesus. And we're going to talk about this the next few weeks. When Jesus was here on the earth, there are disciplines that he focused on every day. He got alone with God. He memorized the word. He fasted. He prayed. He worshiped. And all of those things enabled the Holy Spirit to work in him in his humanity. Of course, he was fully God, fully man. In his humanity to enable him to be perfect and be all that God intended for him to be when he took on human flesh. So for us that follow him, we do the things that Jesus does. And, they, and here's the difference. We don't earn, do them to earn merit before God. That's where the Pharisees did the right thing in the wrong way. The Pharisees memorized Scripture The Pharisees prayed and fasted, but what they did, the right thing, they did for the wrong reason. They did it so they could earn merit before God and consider themselves holy and stand on the street corners and and can contort their faces. So, oh, look how holy he is. He's fasting or, ooh, look how much scripture he's memorized. He's, He's so wise. I mean, the Pharisees were so close, but yet so far away, they missed it. So that when Jesus came to the earth, they didn't recognize him as Lord and Savior. Because Jesus said, you cannot earn merit before God. You can only confess that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. So when I talk about discipline, I want to make sure that we go down the right path and not the wrong one. Uh, John Ortberg says this about discipline, and this helps us to understand this. In the book, The Life You Always Wanted, he said, A disciplined person is someone who does the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. A Pharisee is someone who would do the right thing at the right time in the wrong way and in the wrong spirit, okay? So we're going to be talking about these disciplines that we can do to become more and more like Jesus, but we have to do them in the right spirit. We have to understand we don't earn any merit from God. I'm not any more righteous than you or you more righteous than me if you read more scripture than I do or pray longer than I do. These are simply disciplines that we do to grow in our walk with God. In fact, in our covenant, 
at the very end of the covenant, uh, what's being proposed right now that the church will go through in our next business meeting, at the very last paragraph, we say this. May we as Cedar Street Baptist Church continue to pursue this mission together in grace and truth for the glory of the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. May we also be willing to truthfully confess when we fail, resting securely in God's amazing grace as He continues to transform us into the image of His Son. I hope that statement screams the word grace. That we're going to fail at this, and that's okay. We're not going to read Scripture as much as we'd like to. We're going to fail at trying to have a disciplined prayer life. We're going to make mistakes in the words that we say and the things that we do. But we're going to confess and we're going to dust ourselves off by the power of God and try again so that the Holy Spirit can move in us and change us. It is a work of God, not the work of man, but we participate with God. All right, so that's really where I want our heart to be as we walk through this sermon series together is that we uh, seek that word transformation. And by the way, before we get to the main idea, I do want to say that mission statement that we have about heads, hearts, and hands, all right, that didn't come out of thin air. That's something that is the pattern of how God changes a human being, okay? It starts with the mind. As your thoughts and your mind are being transformed, it goes to your heart. Okay, and from your heart, it will move to your hands. The actions that you do in response to your faith, it's all a work of God, but it always starts with the mind. So the big idea, okay, pretty simple in one sentence. The big idea, gospel transformation in the Christian life always begins with our head. Gospel transformation in the Christian life always begins with our head. Your heart and your hands will never change if your head doesn't change first. You cannot have affection and desire and commitment for something that you don't believe in or you don't understand. So your belief and your understanding always starts here, but it can't stop here, but it's got to start here. So God led me to to turn us to Romans chapter 12 to consider this beautiful passage from the Apostle Paul. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2, but we're going to focus on just verse 2 for the actual message here. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1126 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Okay, Romans chapter 12. Again, I'm going to read verses 1 through 2, and we're going to focus on verse 2. In the message. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you and praise you for this day. And Father, we confess that transformation is what we desire, and yet we need guidance from your word, and we need the power of your spirit. So in the name of your son, we come to you and ask, help us. Help us to be a church of transformation. Help us to be a church that looks and sounds more like Jesus every day, that is concerned about the things of your kingdom. And Father, today we pray that would start with our minds. Help us to have the mind of Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So together we will seek the mind of Christ. That's in our our new covenant. 
That is also the title of the message here. And I'm going to walk through this short passage in Romans 12.2, and then I'm going to close with four points of application that are part of the covenant that we're proposing. Okay? So as we walk through this, I want to start at the first part of verse 12, in cha- or, yeah, verse, 12 or verse 2 in chapter 12, excuse me, and say, let's pause and listen to the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, do not be conformed to this world. And number one, stop conforming our thoughts to think like the world. Stop conforming our thoughts to think like the world. To seek the mind of Christ, we must stop conforming our thoughts to think like those that don't know Jesus think. This is the challenge of being in the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that statement as a Christian before? We're not called to be separated from the world, but to engage the world. But at the same time, we have to have a mind that doesn't see the world the way that the world that doesn't know Jesus does. We ought to see the world through the Bible. Okay? A lot of us call this our worldview. We need to see the, bio, see the world through the lens of this book so that when we think about the universe, we say, okay, we know this universe was created by a sovereign God. He created it in six days and rested on the seventh. He created us in His image and likeness to be a reflection of who He is. We have failed to do that because of our sin. We're separated from God as a punishment. But then Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again for us that we could have a relationship with God. And now we're called to go out and share that faith with the world and to live it out and to be more like Christ. And if we do that, it will always start with our mind. What we believe, the thoughts that come into our mind, we have to stop every day and say, do we think differently than our neighbors that don't know Jesus? Do we think differently? I love, you know, I look at a lot of different Bible translations just to get a different grasp of the same verse. In Romans uh, 12.2 in the New Living Translation, the beginning of the passage says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. And Eugene Peterson's the message. He says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Let me just make it as simple as I can. If you're a Christian... You ought to have thoughts that are completely different than a non-Christian. If a non-Christian had a conversation with you and you shared what you believe, it ought to sound strange to them. And sometimes we try so hard to fit into the culture that we're a part of, we don't want to sound strange, we don't want to look strange, we want to look and sound just like the culture, but we're not of the culture, we're of Christ. But yet we live in the culture, so how do you do that? Well, we have to balance it by starting by renewing our minds. And, and, you know, we need to avoid our extremes. Okay, there's two extremes when it comes to this. One is complete detachment from the world, and the other is complete imitation of the world. All right, so let me talk about the first one, complete detachment from the world. This is kind of the, the head in the sand approach. All right, this would be, I'm not going to engage anybody in the world that does anything. I'm going to completely isolate myself away in the middle of nowhere and have my own little world, and nobody else is going to be a part of that. With all due respect to our Amish brothers and sisters, that's what they do. All right, and I have great respect in many ways for their piety and their devotion, but a lot of the Amish, what they will do is, because they, they, uh, they look at that passage in John that says, be not of the world, and say, you know what, I'm going to disengage, and we're going we're to cut off ourselves from the rest of the world, and we're just going to live out the Christian life in isolation. And while they may be growing in certain aspects, they're also not fulfilling the Great Commission by going into the world to make disciples of all nations. That's what God has called us to. 
So we want to make sure we don't go to that extreme of isolating ourselves from the world where we never read the newspapers and we never watch sports and we never have leisure and we're constantly just reading the Bible and talking about Bible verses and and we're just isolating ourselves from the rest of the universe. We don't want to go that far. I don't know if anybody in this room is in danger of going that far. I think our danger is more the other side. I'm just going to be honest. All right. Instead of detaching from the world, we imitate the world. And the reason we do that is because we misinterpret a passage where Paul says, I'm all things to all people that I may win some to Christ. When Paul says, I become all things for all people, that does not mean that he fully imitates exactly who they are and has every thought that they have and uses the language they use and has the behavior they, they, they do. What Paul says is, I'm willing to engage them and meet them where they are to show them Jesus. All right, so what, you know what that means in 2018 terms? You know, for some, being a faithful witness may be going out to a tailgate or to the bar to, to be a faithful witness, but not having 10 beers with them. Sitting with them, loving them, engaging them, meeting them where they are, but not engaging in all the activities that they engage in. You know, so we need to not isolate ourselves, but we don't need to be so much like the world that we do all the things that they do so we don't stand out. No, we need to engage them where they are, but in their darkness, we need to shine light. We need to shine light, and it always starts with our mind. The Apostle Paul says it clearly, do not be conformed to this world. All right, so to seek the mind of Christ, we have to stop conforming our thoughts to think like the world. The world that sees that the kingdom is all about you instead of the, the Christian life where our thoughts are always about the kingdom of God, about our will versus God's will. Our desires versus God's desires. We need to renew our thoughts to say, God, what do you want with my life? Who do you want me to witness to? How can I be faithful and shine the light in a place of darkness right here and right now? This is how we stop conforming to the thoughts of the world. And then number two, that we start transforming our thoughts to think like Jesus. To start transforming our thoughts to think like Jesus. Second part of uh, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me talk more about the mind for a second. There's a passage in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 that says, Guard your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me talk about the heart so that you can understand the head. We're going to talk more about the heart next week, but let me talk about this for a second. Your heart is the steering wheel of your soul. It's your being. It's who you are. The Bible, when it talks about the heart, it talks about the true person. But it also says, guard your heart with all vigilance or all diligence, depending on the translation, for from it flow the springs of life. And how do you guard your heart? You do it first by guarding your mind. Because what goes into your mind will come into your heart and come out of your mouth and your hands. All right? We have to constantly renew our mind with the truth of God so that we can reject the truth of the world. Again, I I know I took a beating last week from some well-intended men. They put their arm around me and said, I ought to stop bashing people for watching Fox News. I'm not bashing you watching the news. All right? If we don't watch the news at all, we stick our head in the sand and we don't know what's happening. I get that. What I tried to say last week, all jokes aside, 
was if you spend your time thinking about where this country's going and worried about this and about that and thinking about the things of the world and not seeing the news through the lens of Scripture because you're not meditating on the Word of God, then you're, you're conforming your thoughts to the pattern of the world and not thinking the thoughts of Jesus. Jesus is not worried about the United States of America. He's all about building the kingdom of God. And when the, the gospel's gone to all four corners of the earth, he's coming back. And that's what he wants you to be thinking about today. He doesn't want you to be thinking about who or who is not sitting on the Supreme Court. He is the supreme judge of the universe, and he's coming back. And that's what he wants you to be thinking about. We have to stop conforming our thoughts to the world, worried about the things of the world, focused on the things of the world, stressing out over the things of the world. We need to constantly be thinking about the thoughts of Christ. We need to be burdened for people's salvation. We need to be thinking about how we can grow in the Lord. We need to be praying for people and pleading with the Holy Spirit to draw them, that they would hear the gospel and be changed and be saved. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So as next week as we talk about the heart, today with the mind, this is the gateway to the heart. We ought to say, I'm, I'm going to let this thought in, but I'm going to shut this one off. This thought is not going to make its way into my mind and into my heart. Now, how do we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 tells us, take your thought captive to obey Christ. Here's what it says. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That means that you're a steward of your mind. Now, every single one of you in this room, myself included, every day you have thoughts that would embarrass you if other people knew them. The joke that I always make, and I still have yet to take one person to take me up on this. You know, if they invented a machine that could project on the screen every thought you had for 24 hours for the whole church to see it, who would sign up for that? Not a single soul in here. Because in the depths of our soul, we know that we're being changed, but we still have a sinful nature. And so our thoughts are, are, are still not pure. I'm confessing mine aren't pure. But I am seeking to purify them through the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You take it captive. When you have a thought that does not honor God, confess it to the Lord. Bring it to the light. Say, God, this is not of you. Please forgive me and help me to, help me to think about the things of Christ. And we do that through confession like we did this morning and, and renewing our mind. As we re- remove something from our mind, a thing of the world, we replace it with a thought of Christ. And we do that by meditating on the scriptures. All right. And the mind of Christ, I think, as we, as we kind of draw to a close and talk about some practical application, it is one that is constantly denying our will and seeking the will of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through 7, Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. How do we let the mind of Christ dwell in us? We do it by sacrificing our will for the will of the Father. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was not sinful for him to say, if it's possible, God, take this cup from me. I do not want to go to the cross. I do not want to face this pain and separation. But he ended the sentence with, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. The mind of Christ is one that rejects the will of the self and goes after the will of God. It is one that stops thinking about the kingdom of the world and starts thinking about the kingdom of God. 
When, I mean, we literally should be thinking about the kingdom of God every single day. Whether or not we have the time to pray and read Scripture the way that we want to, we should constantly be thinking about everything in the scope of eternity. When we're with friends that don't know Christ, I don't know if you've ever done this, but when I'm with folks that I know that don't know the Lord, I'll pray for them as I'm talking to them. Have you ever done that? I'll say, in my mind, I'm saying, Lord, open their hearts. Open their hearts to see the light of Jesus, to see their need for salvation. I'm not thinking just about the conversation that I'm having with them. Under my breath, I'm praying and I'm asking for God to do something because I don't ever want to lose focus on what I should be thinking about. Everything through the lens of Scripture. You know, through the hurricanes that happened, through Hurricane Michael that has ravaged Mexico Beach and and all these things. Yes, we should care about the physical needs. As Dave has mentioned beautifully the last couple weeks, Jesus always met physical needs before he met spiritual needs. So we ought to pray that they have food and shelter. We ought to pray that they're able to restore their lives. But we ought to have central in our prayer, God, through this hurricane, bring people to Jesus. Expand your kingdom through disaster, through the absolute brokenness. Bring people to their knees that they call out to God and are saved. I know this. People will come to faith in Jesus Christ because of Hurricane Michael. And you know how I know that? Romans 8.28. That things are working together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. I don't know how He's going to do it, but He's going to do it. His kingdom will be expanded. God's not the author of sin and evil, but He allows painful things to happen to accomplish His sovereign purpose. And we need to be thinking about that. When you see tragedy on TV, yes, pray for those people, but pray that God will use that to bring them to salvation in Christ. Renew your mind to think about the things of God. Look beyond the things of the world. That hurricane has come and gone. Those houses were broken down and will be rebuilt And many people will go on with the rest of their lives. But for some who will come to faith in Jesus, that hurricane changed their whole eternity. That's what we ought to be praying for. That's what we ought to be praying for. So let me sum this up, and I'm going to give you a couple short points of application that come right out of this covenant that our church is reviewing right now, okay? All right, summing it up in one sentence, I'd say this. To have the Christ mind, we must develop disciplines that help us meditate on Christ's will. To have Christ's mind, we must develop disciplines to help us meditate on Christ's will. I want to give you four. And if you were at the business meeting last month, this is not a surprise. You've already read and seen this, okay? Our long-range planning committee came up with this. Our bylaws committee approved this. And now our church is reviewing this as well. These are four practical ways we can seek the mind of Christ together. First, reading the Bible consistently. Reading the Bible consistently. I'm not saying how much of the Bible you should read, but I am saying how often you should read it. In fact, we talked about this Sunday night in our happiness study. A lot of times in our Bible reading, we try to go a mile wide and an inch thick. How many chapters can I read to check off the reading plan? Go the other direction. Maybe focus on going just an inch wide, but a mile deep. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe in the next week of your life, Just read a few psalms. But the psalms or the verses within the psalms that you read, read them over and over and over and meditate on them. You know, I I shared during revival that Psalm 73 was a song that was singing in my heart for almost a full week. In my devotional time, I came across Psalm 73, 
and I got to that one passage, and my heart was gripped, and the Holy Spirit said, Bo, hit the brakes. Forget the reading plan today. Read this again and again and again and again and again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's no one on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my portion and my refuge forever. I thought about that for seven straight days. I want to say God's not impressed with how much Scripture you can get into your mind. But he, he, He is very much concerned with you getting Scripture into your mind so that it can get into your heart. So instead of trying to go a mile wide and an inch thick, go just an inch wide this week and go a mile thick. Think about this. Take, up, take one passage of Scripture and chew on it for six or seven days. Do that day by day, and you will acquire the mind of Christ. All right, so read the Bible consistently. Learn, uh, the second would be learn from our teachers gradually. Learn from our teachers gradually. Not only do we read the Bible, but we also sit under those who've been gifted to teach the Bible. All right, that starts, of course, with the church. That would start with being a faithful member of a Sunday school class, but it would also branch out into the capital C church. All right, it would go into listening to some faithful Bible teachers. I know there's some great David Jeremiah fans in the church and, and Charles Stanley fans, and I want to go a step further. Why don't you take a class at the Guido Bible College? Now, I went there and God convicted me that I was called to ministry. He probably won't do that for you, but he might. I don't know. The next pastor of this church could be sitting in the pews right now. You have no idea. But what I will tell you is this. All I did was show up at the doorstep of that facility wanting to know more about the Bible because I knew there were men and women in that room that knew more about the Bible than I did. And if I gradually learned from them, I too would begin to understand the Scriptures. So learn from teachers gradually. Here's the third. Follow church leaders faithfully. Follow church leaders faithfully. All right? God blesses obedience. He blesses our obedience to Him and then our obedience to the order that God has set. And when we obey our church leaders, God is honored by that. And, And what I always say is this, as someone who has been ordained to be a church leader here, if you don't agree with me, pray for me. Because when you pray, one of two things is going to happen. Either A, he's going to change your mind if, if I'm right, or B, he's going to change my mind if you're right. And there have been times where people have prayed for me and lovingly shared with me things that I, they thought that I should change or do differently, and I've listened to what they said, and God has changed my heart and changed my direction. But that happens through prayer, not rebellion. And so as a church, when we grow and we're reading the Word and listening to our teachers, when we follow our leaders, when you follow the leadership of the deacons, and you enable them as they walk into your Sunday school classes to pray over you and find out the needs that you have, and, and they give you spiritual direction, and you follow them, that's the order and the pattern that God laid out. We just looked at that for several months as we looked through First Timothy. God will bless it. And here's the final thing. So we read the Bible consistently. We learn from our teachers gradually. We follow our church leaders faithfully. Fourth and finally, we direct our thoughts and words to glorify God intentionally. We direct our thoughts and words to glorify God intentionally. When I was youth pastor here, we had one quick slogan, D-T-double-G, does this glorify God? Simple, simple question is this, what you just said or what you just did, would Jesus be honored by it if he was standing in the flesh watching you? That's a pretty good way to figure out if what you just said or did was right or wrong. 
Would you do it if Jesus was standing in front of you? Well, spiritually, he is. Through the Holy Spirit, he's with us. But because he's here in spirit and not here in the flesh, we forget. And so we say and do things, all of us, that dishonor God. But what this says is we're going to intentionally try to do things that would honor the Lord. And we confess when we don't. And the more that you intentionally try to honor God, the more the Spirit of God's going to say, that's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on a person who wants to do my will. Now that you're ready, I'm going to empower you to be able to do it. I'm going to empower you to be able to speak words of life instead of words of gossip and and words of death. I'm going to enable you to be able to share the gospel when you were scared to death to say a word to a stranger even a few months ago. I'm going to enable you to pray in public when months ago you, you cried out, God, please don't call on me. I'm going to empower you to do this because you're willing to do my will. God wants people who are willing to do His will, and by His grace, He will empower you to do it because you cannot do it in your own strength. That is grace. Grace is God working in me and for me to do what is required of me, but that of which I can't do in my own power. That's grace. And God wants to pour out that grace, but we have to be in the right position, like that golf club. And we do it through these spiritual disciplines. We do it through the Bible. We do it through learning. We do it by following, and we do it by directing, directing our thoughts and directing our words to honor and glorify God. So as we draw to a close, the quick question that I have at our time of invitation is this. Are you willing to seek the mind of Christ together? As we move forward as Cedar Street Baptist Church with a new covenant, a new mission, a new vision, Are you willing to walk with me as I walk with the Lord? Are you willing to seek the mind of Christ, to see the things of the world, the things that are happening in your life right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Are you willing to see them with the mind of Christ? Are you willing to see that God is working together all for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose? Are you willing to see that God is drawing people unto Himself and He wants you to shine light in in darkness? Are you willing to see that God is building His kingdom and that the church is the primary tool in which God will build His kingdom? Are you willing to see the world through the eyes of Jesus? That's our goal for Cedar Street Baptist Church and it starts with the mind. Next week we're going to talk about the heart and then we're going to talk about the hands And then at homecoming, in this beautiful crescendo, we're going to talk about renewing that commitment to each other. And it's going to be a beautiful time. I pray that you have your calendars marked for that. But before I pray, I just want to say this. If there's any of you in this world and not of Christ, if you're in this room and you do not know the Lord, and you're watching watching the news and you're scared to death about the future of our country, and you, you can't see truth in the lens of eternity, I pray that you would give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today. God will lead you to the darkest places where he can shine his light the brightest. And maybe you're in this room today. Maybe it's not a national issue. Maybe it's a personal issue. And God's dealing with you and he's drawing you unto himself. And you may be miserable right now. And God's saying, I'm enabling you to go through this. Because as you are broken, I'll build you back up. As you live in darkness, I will shine light. As you realize you're lost, I'll provide salvation. Have the mind of Christ. Confess your sin and ask Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And He will answer that. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's the mind of Christ. And that's what we're going to seek together. Let us pray.
Father, we need transformation. By the grace of God, we're not who we were, and yet we're not who we're going to be. We are who we are, but we don't want to stay this way. We want to be more like Jesus. Would you help us? Father, convict us of thoughts that we have that do not honor you, attitudes that are are just stuck in negativity and, and have nothing to do with your kingdom. Deliver us from this thought pattern, Father, that we would put on the mind of Christ, that we would think the things of Christ and not the things of the world, that we would experience transformation and renewal of the mind to see everything through a biblical worldview. Help us to see the kingdom in everything that we do, Father, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, and in this church. And if there's anybody in this room that does not know the Lord, Father, by your precious Holy Spirit, draw them unto you. Remove the blinders that they could say, I was blind, but now I see. And they could confess with their tongue that Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. These things we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.